With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. <clears throat> Hello. Hello, Chris. Let's get this started. I'll go ahead and just play the music to get us kicked off so I don't have to add it later. How's that sound? Right, jolly good. All right, hang on, here we go. This is Doctor This is Doctor John Waterman coming to you from deep inside the castle. We've got uh, Chris Mead here with us today, and we're going to be uh, having a nice conversation. Stand by, we'll be right with you. Today is uh, March the 10th, 2015. We're glad you're here to join us, Chris. How's your day going? Very well, and how is it with you? Last time I heard you had a big storm. Has the weather abated now? (laughs) We've got... Well, in the Ozarks, we don't get much snow. So when it rains, then it freezes, then it sleets, and then it snows... And that all piles up to be about five inches. For us, that's a big storm. Well, considering the fact, too, Chris, that here in the Ozark Mountains, going up and down the hills, if you're not going up, you're going down. And if you're not turning right, you're turning left. That can make things kind of nasty when you get that kind of Uh, weather. I can imagine. (laughs) It's not flat. Well, I can't even say my yard's flat, tell you the truth. And I'm on top of the 
top of a hill here. I'm on top of a, well, they call them mountains. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, we'll just kind of let things go here. We'll turn you uh, loose. Uh, as you gather, I'm in the UK. Um, I live on the south coast in a county called Sussex, which is the land of the South Saxons. And I'm only a stone's throw from Pevensey. Uh, that's where William the Conqueror landed. And we have a town nearby called Battle, and there's an abbey there. And that's where the final battle where William conquered um, conquered Britain took place. That's in 1066, as I think most people know. Well, that's during Crusade days. Yeah, uh, yeah. <clears throat> it was pretty close to when... Uh... All the stuff down in Jerusalem was going on too. I would I would assume, or maybe it was already over. Um, big crusades everywhere going on. It sounds like. So, are you? Uh, is that close to Wales then? Oh no, I'm I'm quite a uh, well. I'll say it's on about two three hundred miles away from Wales. Ooh, yeah, that's yeah. a long ways. Yeah, <laughs> mostly. I think in the States, you tend to think of, you know, Britain being a fairly small place. Well, it is compared to the States, but, I mean, there is a fair bit of traveling to do in the UK, as uh, Eli found when he came over. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're kind of, you know, I think maps don't actually, they don't actually give us the perspective, because um, on the maps that we see today, you know, the United States is actually visually bigger than it really is, and the northern parts of that map aren't as big as they visually should be, so our perspectives get uh, kind of out of whack. So you're yeah, in the... Uh, go sorry. ahead. No, I was just going to say, of course, it gets distorted, but trying to put a, a round world on a flat space. <laughs> <laughs> Well, tell us uh, how you came to where you're at and what you're doing, and and, uh, what are some of the things that uh, compel you to do what you do today? Well, I'm retired, and uh, when I retired, you know, you always want, you know, something to fill in the vacuum. So I, at that time, had purchased a laptop and uh, done a little research on our history because I've always been in in the identity movement, although it lapsed. Uh, but when I retired, I became more interested. And, um, and of course, I found a lot of what we're being told, you know, was outright lies, you know. Because um, British Israel used to say, well, the, the um, um, leadership still do, I think, uh, say that Judah is the Jews and Israel is the, you know, the Anglo-Saxons and they tend to have a narrow view of who the true Israelites are. But then, you know, since my studies, I can, you know, I can see it's broadened right out in all the, including the Caucasians in Europe. We're all over the map now, aren't we? Certainly are, yeah. <laughs> and of course, our enemy is, follows us wherever we go. Well, I've said it so many times. It's always worth repeating, though. 
there's one phenomena that does not fit with the Chinese or the Hispanics or the blacks. It's called white flight in America. I don't know if you're familiar with that term. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's not something called black flight or Jewish flight or Chinese flight or Hispanic flight. It seems like the only ones flighting are, are the white people. <laughs> what's your thoughts on what's your thoughts on that? It's 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 a compelling argument to some other things, I'm sure. But what's your thoughts? Oh, yes, I, I think that's exactly right. Uh, I mean, well, we, we studied our, if you study our history, we've always been moving. Um, you know, as soon as we get settled, um, you know, and uh, things become prosperous, well, then the enemy comes to, you know, gets in control, and uh, then we have to move on and start afresh somewhere else. But I think we got to the point now, there's nowhere else to run to. So we just got to stand our ground. In this line of of talk, in 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 this issue called identity, uh, what are some of the things that interest you? What takes up what takes well, up your time? Where where do you focus? Well, um, as you know, I, I have been doing. I've been interested in some of the old books, and uh, we can get some not useful nuggets of information and um, one in particular was the one I sent you it's not a very uh, from the title it it would sound very boring to most people and I don't think most people would bother with it it's called the synopsis of the genealogy of the family of Douglas or the Brigantes and that was published in my memory serves me right, 1754. Uh, So it was quite a job scanning it, and some of it you have to dictate because I suppose you know, Doc, that um, the old English, the the lettering wasn't the same as it is today. For example, the S's in the middle of words are like an F, but with only one Instead of the bar going straight through, it's just on one side. So, you know, that can be quite confusing, working out what the actual word is. And, of course, the OCR scanner doesn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) So you had S's and F's getting confused, and I suppose maybe U's and V's? Did they get mixed up a little too? Um, Well, the, the V's aren't too bad. They're okay, but... Some of the H's they use when it's like a CH, the H has a sort of bend down the bottom with only a tiny gap, so it can look like a B rather than a, than an H. But what well, that's yeah, that's bizarre, isn't it, to see yeah. those kind of changes? You know, one of the things that's going to affect our language in America anyway is that our children are now not being taught cursive. Isn't that unbelievable? Yeah. I mean, they're going to have to print or type, but they won't learn to write. I think that's a tragedy. Oh, it is. And I suppose if they do try and write, nobody about to decipher it. I, I, you know, that's why we need to homeschool. You know, people yeah. need to be doing it themselves with their own kids, make sure they... 
they get it. Well, t- can you tell us a little bit about this book? Uh, well, uh, what interests me is that um, in the uh, I'll read you the um, he talks because uh, the person who wrote it, somebody Peter Pineda, I believe he was Spanish. So the book was actually the book I had anyway. Uh, the first uh, page was in English and the second page in Spanish or the other way around. So, um, so obviously I think it was for the you know, Spanish readers as well. And he traces his fa- the family, which he says is the largest in the world, the family of Douglas. And, of course, they have many branches. And he, tra- uh, he traces the back a chap called Gathilius. Emily was a son of Seops, who was um, a ruler or king in uh, Greece. And he was so unruly that, um, you know, he, he wouldn't do what his parents told him. So he got a, a, a few people together and went back to Egypt. Um, uh, where he made good by being a mercenary in the pharaohs army and uh, he fell in love with Skota, uh, one of the pharaoh's daughters and uh, eventually made their way to Spain where they settled down uh, in a uh, town uh, called um, Brigantia or Brigantia uh, which was named after their tribal name and, and that was originally on the river Ebro, that's spelled E-B-R-O, which is oh. very like Ebro. Yeah, very close. Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but then they moved north and uh, into a town called Brigantia. Well, it changed to Brigantia, and then it's some other name which is fairly similar, but not quite. And uh, from there, they went to Scotland and oh, really? Northern England. Uh, so did they France. change names or did they become... Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of changes. But they were generally known as the Brigantes. And that's where, I mean, I don't know if you have the word in uh, America, but in uh, England... Uh, that's where we get the name brigand, which is a you know a derogatory term for somebody who's not very nice. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. You have that you know, well, he was kind of a, it sounded like he was a little unruly if he wanted to make weapons and go out and stir up trouble. Yeah. You know, yeah, sounded um, like his uh, parents <laughs> might have had a little problem with him, huh? <laughs> and uh, Emily, that was one of the reasons they. Um, Romans built the um, Hadrian's Wall was uh, to stop the two branches of the family from uniting. Otherwise, you know, there'd been too much for them to, they would have driven the Romans out. Is that right? So we had the Scots raiding the Roman legion and uh, scare the the Dickens out of them. And so Hadrian built the wall, I heard, for that. But yeah. also to separate these people. Now, tell us a little bit more about what what that and what, why would that be a concern? Well, well, if, if 
you know, it's sort of the old uh, adage, divide and rule. But if they were united, they would be too powerful for the Romans to control. So what uh-huh. they had to do, on, you know, make sure they didn't uh, join up the two branches. Interesting. So what time frame did it did this last? I, well, I imagine in one man's lifetime, so it wouldn't have been too far off of that. Uh, what was it? One thousand and what? Sorry, when was this? Uh, as he moved, he moved north. You said, did he himself move into Scotland, or was it just a branch of his family? Oh, this was would be in the. Um, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but something like. Three or four hundred BC, something like that. Oh, okay. Because gotcha. they had already moved into um, Spain or Iberia, as it's known uh, in those days, and uh, of course, then they moved on to to Scotland. And also, some reckon there's also a town in Austria called Brigance, and they reckon. A lot of historians yeah. reckon that some of the family came from that area as well. Sounds like there is a lot of moving around going on, you know, with his particular group anyway, his family. How oh, did yeah. you how did you find this book? Where did you get this book? Well, so you, you said you scanned uh, it, right? You scanned yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Well, I... I um, I've done another old book called um, The Missing Links, uh, which was another fairly old book, 1800 and something. And uh, I always like looking at the biography at the end. Uh, of course, if you don't see the name of the book, you don't know it exists, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and this was the the reference they gave for the story about Scooter. So I thought, well... I'll see if I can find that. So I was fortunately I was able to find a digital copy and download it. Well, you're you're um, you're. I was going to say though, you probably have little nooks and crannies over there of older books uh, than we would here. Not that we aren't any uh, youngster over here really anymore, but you probably have some pretty luscious old books over there. When you first read it, I bet it was kind of difficult getting through these um, uh, the fonts or the look of the language, even as it was written. Even if it wasn't a an F S challenge, it was probably kind of. It wasn't. Was it handwritten or was it? Uh, oh no, no, it, it, it was printed. Mm-hmm. And again, sometimes it's difficult because sometimes the ink smudges. You know. <laughs> Or it okay. doesn't quite print, you know, so, you know, it's quite a job. Well, it's not too bad. Um, but interesting, interestingly, um, when you look at the stamp, because quite often they have a library stamp of where this book was scanned from, and uh, most of them seem to be in the States rather than the UK. <laughs> so you're probably better off for old books than we are. <laughs> Oh, well, then we must have robbed them from somebody. <laughs> so you got this in the bibliography of a book called The Missing Link. You know, that's not really mentioned much in schools and colleges anymore, 
and I've got a theory about that. What's your thoughts uh, about that? I mean, they just maybe they do over where uh, you're you're at, you know, over there in uh, Europe, but here it's not even mentioned. I think they're scared to death to even infer there's a missing link. Oh What's yeah, I, I mean, any 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 book that sheds light on our identity is, uh, you know, is. I mean, in theory, there's no censorship in the UK, but uh, they make sure, you know, it's not available to the general public. And uh, any sort of what they call um, what they call critical critical uh, books, uh, you know, they're kept out off the shelves so people don't have an opportunity to see them or borrow them from the library. Well, you know that they have all these um, prehistoric men, and then there's this missing link, you know. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, you know, I think that that the enemy doesn't want us to ask the question anymore. Oh, a missing link, you know, because you know what that means, don't you? that you start questioning what this missing link is. Why is there a missing... They don't want you to think. They want you to think in evolution and that we all kind of crawled out of a mud pile and all that kind of thing, you know. And, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, and, I mean, that that's one thing they, they, they don't want people to know, their identity. Otherwise, you know, they would be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, the Adamic man shows up, or all of a sudden, we have this group of people that uh, uh, show up that are different than the rest. And whoops! Uh, well, uh, what? Com- uh, uh, so you've got the book. I I've got the. I really probably ought to ought to put, you you give that away freely now, do you? Or oh yeah, you, yes. Oh, okay. Well, I I think you know these old books. Uh, they should be made. You know. You know, scattered far and wide, so there's no chance of them, you know, going out of existence. Right, right. I um, agree. I mean, I've got lots of books. I mean, I am that. You know, you, you think oh, I read that, then something else comes along. You know, so I've got a huge backlog of reading to do. <laughs> because when you're formatting the book, I mean, you're seeing what's there, but it's not like reading it through, you know, straight through. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're mm-hmm. just picking out little nuggets here and there because most of the time you're looking for spelling mistakes and uh, you know is that in the right position? You know, have I got any? Sense yeah, have you have you got that? it off cockeyed yeah. and is it all showing up between the borders and all that stuff? Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, in in light of this, uh, now did you ever print? Did you print off a physical copy of the book and have that made too, or do you just read it on your? Um, uh, well, uh, myself, I normally just read it on on the screen, um, which is not quite as nice as reading it as a hard copy. But <laughs> so now, when you when you scan Sorry. it, are you actually uh, doing an OCR scan of it, or are you making a picture scan of it? Well, on the physical book, I do um, an OCR scan. Wow, wow. And uh, as you know, when you download a digital 
book, you know, from Google or something. It's uh, usually a lot of pictures, you know. So, in fact, uh, I've got a program and you, which OCRs it from the picture. Oh, it does. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, OCR is kind of nice, but like you say, if it mixes up the S's and the F's, you have to go in there then and kind of edit that out after all that scanning. So that's well, quite it, an... It sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, but if it's too bad, I've got a voice recognition program and I just be, you know, dictate it and then it types it out for me. Uh, of course, sometimes it doesn't like some of these peculiar old words, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it can it can muddle through. I guess you would have an English accent oh, uh, voice recognition. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, actually, before you use it, you know, there's like a training <laughs> session. You have to read out, um, you know, um, a section of, they tell you to read, and then uh, it learns your voice. You know, when you first start 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 off, you know, there's quite a few mistakes, but as you go along, it's pretty good. Um, the only problem I have is when you have uh, similar words, you know, which out of con, you know, which are which similar sounding words but spelt differently. For example, rain. It can either be R A I N or or rain in the horse, R-E-I-N, or reign of a king, R-E-I-G-N, you know. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> so it's those little problems. Got a, got got, uh, got any more books that you plan on doing, uh, or do you already have another one done? Uh, yeah, I'm actually working on one. Well, it's uh, quite a long one. It's two volumes. It's called uh, the, uh, the Secret History of King Charles the second and his court wow oh so it's all about um time you know six, when when king charles the second took over from oliver cromwell and let's talk about you know all the goings on there and now what time frame would that be what when would that have been oh that being the 16 you know 1640 okay. something like that well, I guess that was when we had uh, William and Mary, I think, was in in Virginia was established. William and Mary was established in uh, 1620. I think that's the oldest school in America. That's over there by, um, I think it's in Williamsburg, Virginia, where they have the, you know, where they have the, uh, oh, yeah. I don't know if you've ever been there, but Eli went there and did a, a video of uh, Williamsburg, where where they have a lot of uh, like, um, oh, you know, they have the blacksmiths and the uh, apothecaries of that time, and, and it's just a a colonial re re enhancement or reenactment, and it's fairly uh, fairly mm, involved, <laughs> you know, it's. It's a destination location. A lot of people go for historical. And um, I went there one time, uh, Chris, to uh, eat at one of their restaurants during this period, a lunch, actually. 
And I don't remember where it was. I don't think it was Raleigh Tavern. It might have been. <laughs> and uh, uh, when they were, when I was asking for stuff, they were, they were of course talking more with an English accent than an American one, of course. Oh yeah. And, and they would say stuff like, "Sir, I'm, I'm just bedazzled. I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> <laughs> I guess I should have said, "How about some tea or something?" You know, <laughs> I can't remember what it, I can't remember what it was, but I said, "Okay, well, just tell me what you've got." So she would look at me, kind of like, "You're crazy. You you really sound funny," you know. And so they did a good job of acting like we're a bunch of aliens from another planet. It's what it was amounted to. So. It was kind that, of fun. That, that ties in with the brigantes because, uh, as I said, one part was in northern or central England, and uh, one of their main towns was York. And in those days, it was called Eboricum, named after the river Ebro, where they come from. And also, the river there going through York was known as um, Eboricum. Uh, but, of course, they, like everything, they try and hide our Israelite identity, so the river was changed to the River Ooze. <laughs> and, and also, but when you go there, the name's still in place names. You know, you've got roads, Boricum Way or Boricum Street, <coughs> so it, it's still remembered. But um, I don't know if you know, um, uh, Mary was the uh, um, daughter of the Duke of York, uh, so she was uh, name. You know, she was from York, and that's why William of Orange, uh, when they got the um, New York back from the Dutch, um, they named it New York in, well, uh, uh, allegedly. Uh, uh, in honour of his wife, uh, oh. you know, the Duchess of York. That's why it became New York. Oh, okay. Gotcha. But other people say, you know, it was a Jewish thing um, because that uh, was in in memory of the Jews. <laughs> I think you heard about it uh, in in you know this was in the late ten hundreds when um, Edward's time, Edward the First time, uh, people got so fed up with the Jews' tricks and uh, cheating them out of money, they herded them into the uh, Clifford Tower, which at that time was a uh, wooden building, and a sort of fort on the top of a hill in York, and they burnt them alive. you know, they just they just cannot keep uh, their instinctual behavior from causing them their own grief, you know? It's kind of like being born a scorpion and you just can't resist something, you know? <laughs> but of course, when you look at the history, they turn it round the other way and say how terrible the, you know, the inhabitants, you know, they said they, ashamed, they would be ashamed to be called uh, York people because what they did to the horrible things they did to the Jews, but you never hear the other side of the story. 
Well, uh, you know what? What is there? A hundred and nine countries, or is it more? A hundred and it's over a hundred uh, that they have found themselves sideways of and got kicked out of. And you can just imagine how many more they were close to being kicked out of. You know, um, oh, I yeah. mean, uh, Russia at one point gave them some remote place out in Siberia and said, here, it's yours, go there. You know, I can't remember what the name of that place was, but when you go to that town, there's a monument in the middle, and and uh, all you see written on it is Hebrew. So it's not like the uh, Jews were never given, hey, here's a place to live, do whatever you want, you know. But, yeah, I remember reading about that state. It's somewhere near Vladivostok, somewhere. Yes, yes, exactly. But and, not and, only that, in um, um, uh, the Tsar Catherine, Catherine the Great, uh, when they took over, I think it was what was now the Polish area, and there were a lot of Jews there, and she said she couldn't have them uh, mixing with the Russian people, uh, contaminating them, so they gave them a big track of area of land, with a huge area really, which is roughly where Poland is now, and uh, that's why there's a lot of Poles, uh, a lot of Jews in Poland, um, and that's why all the troubles from the last World War revolved around uh, Poland. But that was called the Pale of Settlement, and um, I suppose you heard of the term being beyond the pale, you know, and and I think if you found outside that area in Russia, that was a capital offence. Oh, really? Say that yeah. they were. What was a capital offence if you went went beyond you, the pale? If you if you if a Jew went outside of the area allotted to them. Ah, gotcha. Well, you know, we had a very well-respected member of the White House press corps, and she was Lebanese. She was of uh, not Jewish descent, like many thought, you know. And uh, she had been through like eight presidents. Um, so she had spent like 50 years in the White House press corps as a journalist, and I think she was... Uh, sponsored a, a writing for one of the Hearst publications in California. Oh. And she was outside of the uh, White House on the streets, and some reporter came up to her, and they were talking about, uh, at that press conference, or at the uh, conference she'd just come through, the, of course, the perennial discussion, of course, about the extermination of the Palestinians in Palestine. And they asked her what her opinion was, and, of course, everybody knew what her opinion was. She was that one that was always constantly asking the hard questions of presidents. You know, like, did you smoke pot? You know, stuff like oh, that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and all those forbidden questions, you never knew what, but nobody could stop her because she had too big a reputation uh, for just being honest and, and straightforward. And, I mean, what are you supposed to do, get rid of a journalist because of that? Well, she was too famous. They couldn't. But they caught her out on the sidewalk, and they asked her a question about the Palestinians, and she said they need to go back home. And they said, well, where is that? She said, of course, 
she said, it's Poland. And then they said, well, that's awfully anti-Semitic. She said, the Jews aren't Semitic. I'm Semitic. <laughs> the Jews are not Semites. I'm a Semite. That's where they're from is Poland. Give it, Let them go home. Get them out of that area and go home. <laughs> and, of course, she was, of course, referring to that, what you just talked about. Hey, uh, let me ask you this. <clears throat> Do you think that maybe, uh, let's see, was the Kazarian Empire before that, before the um, uh, Mary or the uh, Tsar there in Russia gave him the land of Poland? That was after the Kazarian Empire. Oh, yeah, that, that, that was um, Kazaria, I think, uh, fell, my memory serves me right, uh, 800 and something. Okay. Uh, and it was destroyed by a Russian uh, prince. Ratilov, I think his name was some peculiar name. I, I wouldn't like to say I got the pronunciation right, <laughs> but but personally, I think that was like letting the genie out of the bottle because they spread all their con- contamination all around Europe. Because a lot, a lot, as you say, went to Poland, uh, and then another quite a lot went to um, southern Spain, where some of their uh, relatives were there, you know, trading. Of course, <laughs> they're 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 the expert at being the middleman, Chris. Yeah. Well, and, and of course, I bet you know when they were in Kansaria, the the Silk Route ran through there uh, from China, and then various branches went off from there. One went down to the Orient, you know, Constantinople, and uh, and then another branch went up uh, north and spread into three. One went up to Scandinavia, uh, another to the Low Countries, and one to London. And at each of these terminals, they have what they, a strange name, they called it a contour, where these Khazars uh, took took their commission from the uh, from the silk trade coming in, and whatever what else ever came from the Far East. <laughs> uh, so the the Khazars have been in London for a very long time, and uh, uh, I doubt whether they converted to uh, uh, Judaism because they were so remote from the country. So that's how they were able to keep a low profile long time and control the city of London. Well, I, I can I can imagine uh, the poor Silk Road uh, with these guys called caravan raiders showing up, being Kazarian, of course. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Here we have this group of people sitting there in Kazaria, and it caused so much trouble that Russia had to deal with it. You know, they had just gotten tired of it. So, of course, the Russians uh, attacked Kazaria, which basically broke it up, didn't it? I think it's what really took oh, down yeah, Kazaria. Yeah. And because that was a sort of a remnant from the, um, you know, when we had the two big invasions, you know, into Europe. First, Attila the Hun and Gagnus Khan. Uh, although they were defeated, they they had quite a bit of control in Russia and were exerting, uh, um, you know, taxes from them. 
and so that's why they were hated so much. So, really, don't we? Wouldn't you suspect that Russia was settled by some of the um, migration of uh, some of the northern tribes, just almost going straight north, right on past and up into that area, as opposed to going more west? Oh, oh yes, uh, I think a lot of uh, Israelites went went north because um, I think the name Rus comes from one of. Uh, Benjamin's 12 sons, who was named Rus. Oh, okay. And, and uh, a lot of Benjamin are believed to be in the north, in Scandinavia, and of course Iceland is supposed to be one of their main hangouts, uh, but I believe they're more spread over than that. It's uh, You know, Iceland has a reputation, they say, and when you read travel you know, books and stuff of the has a reputation of the most beautiful women in the world. Uh, we would have to assume we're talking about white ladies. Oh, yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> and, and not because they've got suntans from Florida or California, but because, uh, you know, <clears throat> there's hardly any sun or any beaches there to speak of, so to speak. So you've got this group of uh, Israelites that are in Russia, and lo and behold, out of nowhere seems to come this uh, nation called, or empire called Khazaria. I think it probably was uh, a little bit more formal establishment of a whole bunch of tribes that were kind of caravan vaders, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, there was a guy on the radio, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Jim Mars. Anyway, he talks about Kazaria and the fact that they used to raid these caravans on the Silk Road. And he said, and by golly, sometimes the caravans would actually fight back. And so that wasn't all that easy. So they decided to kind of start charging kind of a, a, a toll to get through because it was much easier to charge for a toll then it was just flat out raid, <laughs> or yeah. what? What we would say in America, it's easier to charge a toll than it is to do a stagecoach robbery. You know? yeah. <laughs> I kind of want accounts the, the uh, because they the, their um, one of their silk routes went straight through uh, <clears throat> the city of Kiev, but um, oh, it but did. Then, but then the. Um, Van, uh, the Russian van, called the Vangian uh, um, Vikings moved in uh, because they used to do a lot of trade themselves between the north and Constantinople, oh. and and uh, they didn't like the Emily the Khazars. That's one people they didn't <laughs> like tangling with was the Vikings. So if you look at the old maps, you can see where they diverted their Silk Route further to the east and up to Novigrad to bypass Kiev. And when you look at the old um, maps of Kasaria, you know, it's it's been, you know, you see it fairly small, then it expands and then it contracts. So, it, you know, it hasn't been a sort of static area. It's sort of uh, increased and declined. You know, it's, uh, and, and all the on all that it amounts to is we have these squatters on. I call them squatters to this planet. Uh, yeah. These Edomite uh, Nephilim descendants, so to speak. Well, I call them parasites. <laughs> yeah, exactly. These parasites show up, 
And, and since they're not rooted in anything here from the Father, they end up, uh, uh, you know, trying to exact or extract their sustenance as a parasite off everybody else, just like you're talking about. And so when they gave that property, when Russia said, here, we're tired of you, go over here and, and do your thing, they couldn't make a go of it because they were there there right. wasn't in, there wasn't anybody to suck from was there i mean you All know right. can you imagine seeing a a community or even something small enough to be called like even bigger than the vatican i mean it could have been a nation state so to speak which it was can you can you see a bunch of jews out there uh, gardening and and farming I mean, oh, you know, no. <laughs> they don't work. They like other people to do the work. <laughs> so, you know, when they're out there where they've got fertile soils, freedom to do what they want, make their own money anytime they want, well, it didn't quite sustain them, you know. Well, guess why? It's kind of like being in a ghetto where you're always trying to... Um, Jew or Jip, <laughs> another gypsy, yeah. and, and I can just imagine what that would be like. Can you imagine that? Oh, geez. Maybe maybe that's why Scots got their reputation, because they had to deal with them so much, they ended up having to fend for themselves, and so a lot of times a stingy Scot is a, you know equal to a Jew or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think somewhere, I mean, in the scriptures, it mentions about uh, something to that effect about that was one of the traits of Judah, you know, being careful with their money. <laughs> oh, yeah, yes, exactly. Being careful. Yeah. So so we have this uh, region that uh, was what we call Khazaria, and of course then got raided by the Russian Israelites for their corruption and and being a basically a bad neighbor, um, would that have meant then that they scattered, and that's why we see them headed into Poland, which is nearby? Oh yes, um, I mean, um, I think that's uh, when um, you know it sort of ties up with the Bible about um, um, talks about uh, God being released and going out and deceiving the nations. I think that was the part of the procedure where they were released to go about and deceive the nations for the Mm. end times where we're coming up to now. Well, give us your your take on the uh, Kiev uh, Wanta and uh, what's developing there. What's your thoughts with all of that? Of course, it's kind of easy for me, uh, looking at it logically. You have Russian people on one side and not Russian-speaking people on the other. I mean, you know, tell us what your thoughts are. Well, I think that uh, they're desperate to get a third world war going, according to their plans. So far, they've been stalled. First, they tried to start it off by attacking um, Iran, but that fell through. Then, then there was next one that was going to bash was Syria, and they had to withdraw from there, although they're still trying to get one going there. And I think that was basically because um, Putin had sort of come out of the 
uh, I think he did a sort of uh, dirty trick on them. They thought he was their man, but he turned out not to be their man. <laughs> and uh, obviously he had more we- powerful weapons than the, you know, the you know the West could match against him. So they weren't able to start a war. Now they're trying to goad him into starting a war in the Ukraine. Um, again, that was all done by deception uh, because they pretended to, you know, be. Uh, I had a friend who knew somebody in the Ukraine and they said, oh, it's marvellous, we're getting rid of our corrupt government. But they didn't realise the people they're putting in their place were were the Jews, even more corrupt than their own people. (laughs) Tymoshenko, who had been in there prior to the one they kicked out, uh, uh, she was uh, she was blonde haired and everything, but she was of Jewish descent. So you had this Kazarian Jew, and and she was known as the Gas Princess because she had ripped everybody off, became a billionaire just stealing the gas from Russia. You know, and that, when they turn off the taps, they. they because they haven't paid the bill, the West uh, say, "Oh, how nasty the Russians are." <laughs> well, let's uh, let's not pay our bill to Washington D.C. and and let's just see just how long it takes for them to start whining about, "Hey, make your payment." And you know, uh, we obviously already know they're a bunch of hypocrites there. And so, you know, um, I don't know. Uh, you know, how familiar you are with uh, what just recently happened in Iraq with ISIS. And and, and it seems like to me somehow this has got to be related to the entire Ukraine issue. And And, of course, the glue that's going to connect the two is guess who? The the Jew. Yeah. The Jew. So, uh, you know... Tell me what your thoughts are about ISIS and this new Islamic State. And I don't know if you heard what just happened in Iraq when the Iraq terrorists, you know, we have supposedly given back Iraq to the people of Iraq. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And, of course, they're probably puppet masters. But by and large, they were, of course, told, hey, you need to have a terrorist task force, and they did. So guess what one of the terrorist organizations that Iraq went after? ISIS. Did you hear what they found at the headquarters when they attacked an operational field command uh, location? Did you hear what just happened? No, I didn't hear that. Yeah, well, it's only been a couple days, maybe three now. Uh, Days get kind of, (laughs) I lose track of them anymore. Anyway, um, there was a... uh, operational headquarters and command post inside of Iraq run by the ISIS. And so the terrorist, uh, anti-terrorist police of Iraq got engaged with these people and killed a bunch of the uh, fighters for the Islamic Republic, killed them, managed to get up to the uh, operational headquarters building and subdued it. Uh, they didn't have to kill anymore. They wounded some, but they finally got inside. And guess who they found inside the building? They found 
U.S. military and Israeli military Mossad officers inside the building running the command headquarters for ISIS there. This just And so they arrested them, and this just happened like two days ago. You know, well, it's, I think it's all of these terrorist organizations, they all have a Jewish, uh, uh, they're all nearly all spawned by the Jews, and they all the part of the thing of controlling both sides. Well, I said U.S. military, and they were U.S. military, but these particular U.S. military officers that got arrested by Iraq happened to be dual citizens of both America and Israel. So even though they were American, they were still, guess what? Uh, Jews. Israeli citizens, yeah. There you go. You know, this should be major news on your BBC and our, you know, <laughs> networks over here, but it's not going to happen. You know, there's no, oh, no way. And really, that should just put, you know, that'd be as big a, of, a, of a, a fiasco, really, as the Benghazi thing, you know, with Hillary Clinton. But they're not going to let they're not going to let it become that kind of thing. I'm I'm afraid. Well, anyway, um, why are they so adamant, in your opinion, about uh, the Ukraine thing? Is it to get Russia, like you said, and and why would they want to get Russia? Well, uh, at the moment, uh, one of their big, biggest obstacles in uh, in uh, setting up the new world order, I think. Because, uh, as you know, Russia is a very vast area. It's even uh, larger than the United States, um, covering several time zones. And it's got a vast resource, of, you know, rich resources that they love to get their hands on. And also, they, in order to keep us under control, they've always got to have a bogeyman to justify you know, being militarized and militarizing our police. So they've got to keep these terrorist items, you know, false flags going. So general public, uh, you know, gradually gets conditioned to, um, you know, armed police and uh, which, well, I mean, you've always had armed police, but it's a new thing here in the UK. Um, and I think it's all part of conditioning you know, gradually, gradually catch a monkey, and then one day you wake, we wake up and we're in a, a full-blown police state. Yep, yep. I'm talking to Chris Mead today, and uh, what we're going to do, Chris, is we're going to take a break. Your connection's getting kind of staticky, and I'm going to let Chris hang up and call back. He, I think, may have to do that anyway. Uh, it's it's approaching it's approaching an hour. So uh, Chris will hang up. I'll play some music. We'll take a break here. Uh, we're an hour into the broadcast, and we'll start uh, the conversation after the break. How's that sound, Chris? Yes, that's fine. I'll put the phone down and I'll redial in. It sounds great. Thanks, okay, Tom. we'll be right back with you. You're listening to the Waterman Files today here on uh, March the 10th, and we'll be right back with you. Uh, after this break, and uh, we'll talk to you on the second hour at the top of the second hour here after our break.
This is Dr. John Waterman coming to you from deep inside the castle, and uh, today is March the 10th, 2015, and uh, this is the uh, second hour of our broadcast, and I've got online here with me Chris Mead from the UK. Chris, it's kind of uh, interesting to get your perspective. Seems like you guys are becoming less and less English over there. <laughs> and and, and it, isn't it interesting that the agenda that seems to be giving you problems um, in that regard are the same ones here? I mean, uh, here we have a renegade rogue president, or at least some people call him that, who's wanting to give just amnesty to millions of illegals. It's just beyond comprehension. Well, so they're how, doing that in all our Western Israelite countries. How's that affecting? What's well, give us your your uh, your take and uh, your perspective on what's going on over there in London, Great Britain, and wherever else it's happening in your part neck of the woods? What? How's that affecting things? I hear it's getting less British all the time. Oh, yes. I mean, if you, especially in our big cities, I mean, uh, if you're white, uh, you're in the minority in most of them. And you feel it's quite a surprise to see another white person. Um, You're right in, you know, in London, right in the very center. But when you get out in the periphery, uh, certain places like uh, Slough, uh, other parts of East London, Brick Lane, um, you go there, they're all uh, Muslims, you know. And mm. uh, in uh, Southall, I used to, I was born there, there, another town, little village called Hamble. When I was young, uh, I used to have friends in Southall, and, uh, you know, it's all completely white. This would be back in the, I'd say, in the early 1950s. And then there was a rubber factory. Um, this, they're making rubber for tires, for cars. And we used to be quite surprised to see these people, you know, walking around with turbans on, you know. Obviously, they were Indian. But it's unbelievable, really. Um, by 1960s and oh, 70s, you're going to Southall now, and it's completely taken over. And even on the train station, they've got the um, name in English uh, underneath uh, the Indian uh, in Urdu, you know, one of the Indian languages, you know. So that shows you the state we've come to. And I believe you have the same problem in the States where some areas, you know, English has been driven out by Spanish-speaking Mexicans. That's right, exactly. You have um, over there this invasion. What you ought to do is have your communities get together, start a big ag campaign, and say, we'll help you get to ISIS with tickets. Call this 800 number, and we'll send you. And uh, then you can get rid of all these Muslims. (laughs) 
I heard somebody say that the UK was going to lose 10,000 Muslims to the ISIS from recruiting them. Well, I I wouldn't see that being a problem myself. If I were over in the UK, let them go. You know? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, well, in fact, there was a story in one of our, well, in most of our papers about three women went out to join ISIS. Um, saying how terrible it was, and I thought, well, let them all go, you know. <laughs> right. Let let them all go. Uh, just don't let them back in. <laughs> <laughs> if they survive it, uh, it's just a it's a it's a big mess. So, uh, how has and where do you think things are headed for you in the UK? I mean, we've got probably a connection with concerns, you know, with this thing going on in the Ukraine, and it's undoubtedly got the same consequences for America as it does, you know. Uh, for I mean, UK's uh, going to be reaping the same benefit and the same problems uh, from whatever transpires. Uh, what do you see happening? Well, how's it going to affect us? Maybe you could just say it for both. What's your perspective on what's transpiring? What do you think is going to be the outcome? What's uh, what's uh, what's the verdict here on the Ukrainian issue there we've got going? Well, from what I can make out, it, it, it's uh, not going quite as planned. I think they, they're well behind schedule. I think they'd had it planned to be a full-scale war going on now, but uh, Putin isn't taking the bait. And also, I've heard that, uh, you know, they've been busy trying to recruit uh, Ukrainians on the European side to fight, but they've been deserting to the other side. And so they've actually had to, you know, force them, a lot of them into the army. So, I mean, you don't have very good fighting men who, who are under there, under duress, so to speak. Um, how it's all going to end, I don't know. It could be, you know, we're getting to the point where, you know, there's going to be a general uprising and... Uh, you know, as the Bible says, the the horns will hate the war whore, you know, which is the Babylonian money power, <clears throat> and it'd be a fire to them and burn them as stubble. So I think everywhere in Europe, uh, everybody's getting very heated about what's going on, in the banks especially, and uh, they've got their eyes trained on the bankers, and even... Um, you know, a lot of waking up to the real problem being the Jews. Um, and it was interesting. Yeah. I suppose you, I don't know if you heard it, Doc. Um, there was a big demonstration in France this was a few weeks ago now. That's when they had the problem with the Muslims setting fire to cars and that, that um, satirical magazine problem. And uh, the, the there was a big demonstration going through and they were shouting about the Holocaust was all a big lie. But there were so many <laughs> doing it, they, the authorities couldn't do anything about it. <laughs> so, I think, so I think people are waking up. It's oh, it's amazing. It, rather slowly. It's good they're waking up to this banking fiasco, the, the lies, the cheating, the stealing of wealth yeah. by the banks of a nation. 
and, and you know, it's kind of apropos. I mean, it's poetic justice, you know, even though people don't understand the Jewish problem. They know no, the problem and, when and they... The problem I find is, you know, people think, you know, well, it's, they've been so brainwashed in the churches. Well, mm-hmm. again, this is the Jewish influence that, you know, we all come from Adam and Eve. We're all the same. And they think those in government, they couldn't possibly do anything bad to us, you know. And they don't realize they've got a different DNA makeup and uh, doing terrible things is nothing to them. And that they're not a damnic man and not everybody is from Adam and Eve, right. And and, and so we've got this issue where you have uh, a... a uh, a big movement against the banks. You know, everybody's mad now at the banks finally. And isn't it interesting who runs the banks without even recognizing and having the excuse to call? You know, at least they're not saying, well, you're just mad at the banks because they're run by Jews. I mean, they'd have to admit it then. So it's kind of a catch-22 for them. They've got to keep their mouth shut about who the bankers are. And so everybody can still get mad about the banks and not be accused of being anti-Semitic, which is, I don't really care what, for me personally, I don't care if they think that. I just don't give a rip anymore. And, and uh, But there are still some people, brainwashed and kind of sensitive to that, and if they got called it, it upset them. Uh, might back down a few, but if they were to ever say, well, you're just anti-Semitic, they'd have to stand there and go, wait a minute, what do you mean I'm anti-Semitic? I'm anti-bank. <laughs> so they'd wake up too many, so they can't admit they control the banks in these countries. And and I think you're right. I think there's a backlash. And what, for those of us, uh, Chris, that are in you know the, the loop, so to speak, uh, on knowing, we understand what their backlash on the banks is all about from the people is corruption and the constant corruption and the constant behavior that is manifested from a specific kind of creature with different DNA is added again and doing this stuff and again, without even people knowing they're Jewish, are mad at them so much they want to destroy those entities. They want them removed, like in America, in the Fed, in the Fed, and over in Europe. <laughs> so the, the, the interesting thing is this is not about being racist or 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 racially profiling because of a person's race. And I say that not as an excuse, but kind of as the devil's advocate, you know. You're trying to make it sound that way, enemy, but it's how can we be that way when most of the people in the streets protesting financial banking crisis and the corruption in the banking system have no clue who the banks are, you know, who runs the banks really. But they don't realise they, they've got an alien government ruling over them. They're not their people. They look very much like us. Or if they are our people, they're, you know, they're just puppets for the, uh, you know, for the banksters. Well, in your opinion, then, uh, 
do you think that maybe uh, Putin's aware of who this is, who these people are? Oh, I, I think he, he definitely would be, yeah. And, uh, and I, I expect that's so entrenched in Russia, he can't be, you know, he has to tread very warily, you know, because I, 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 I like the quote uh, I read in a Russian book. Um, they said, um, this person said, the Russians aren't worried about the Jews you see in the street, you know, with the curly whirlies. What they're worried about, Jews you can't recognise as being a Jew, you know, who look exactly like them, but they're not. Those are the ones you have to be careful of. (laughs) Well, uh, so we've got him uh, fairly aware of it, uh, what's going on. Tell me what your thoughts are, because it seems like we still have a few people in Russia that uh, kind of aspire to and really don't even recognize who caused them all the Bolshevik trouble. You know, they, they're they ignorant, too. And oh, yeah. <laughs> and so some of them are still kind of hanging on to the old communist ideology of and I think that has a lot to do with the haves and the have-nots more than more than anything. And they they think that they're going to get something. Um, and since they're less, they're more like in the have-not category. They would at least like the state to protect them, thinking that they're going to make sure the state's better because at least they would get rid of this have-not problem. Well, never did happen in the Bolshevik era either. So I don't get why they constantly think that they need to go backwards. Now, I'm not saying a lot of them. You know, Putin himself has said, hey, we've tried the socialist way and it didn't work. And uh, I think maybe he gives uh, homage to some of the former leaders like Lenin and all that just to keep his head on, so to speak. (laughs) But... But uh, his administration, uh, his what we would call Secretary of State, uh, Lavrov, I think is his name, right? Lavrov. Um, he's, yeah, the, the guy that's uh, trying to diplomatically settle a problem there in, in you know, the Ukraine. Um, there's something that's just developed, uh, Chris, and tell me your thoughts about this. A diplomat by the name of Richard Miles has been pulled out of retirement in the United States. Did you know that? No. Okay, here's what he did. Uh, Richard Miles was the guy that orchestrated the cover revolu- color revolution in Serbia and the Rose Revolution uh, in Georgia. He was the guy that did that. They called him out of retirement and they took a lady that was the ambassador to uh Kazakhstan uh, I think that's what Kyrgyzstan excuse me I get I get that language kind of They have some funny names there. Yeah, it's kind of hard to say Kyrgyzstan and she was moved over to is Uzbekistan or Bekistan and Miles was put in as prime as the main guy in the embassy in Kyrgyzstan. Now get this, anywhere he's ever went, 
in his foreign service work has ended up in a color revolution like Serbia and so forth. There's speculation going around that they're planning a two-front battle, much like what's going on in Ukraine, on the other side of Russia, actually, what, more on the more in the southeast portion of of uh of Russia, more or less to give Russia kind of a two front problem like Ukraine yeah oh, um, what do you think that would do what would you think that's going to make any well, difference I, at I, all? I, I, I think uh I mean Russia is a very powerful country, and I mean I think they could cope with it because they, they've got uh you know quite a huge army and they've got very good equipment, so I mean they can deploy themselves quite easily. I think they could quite easily cope on two fronts, whereas I don't think we could with you know the state of our army now so I don't know if you heard that story about um <clears throat> this was just before Christmas, I believe um the americans uh uh the u s center one of their battleships into the Black Sea to, you know, as a warning to uh, Putin, uh, you know, to stand down, stand off in in the Ukraine, and uh, this lone, I don't know what make of plane it was, flew over, and the Americans on board were getting their guns lined up on it. <clears throat> then, as it put, all of a sudden, uh, all their screens went blank. <laughs> and all their equipment was immobilized, so they obviously could, uh, you know, outgun them on the electronic side. And uh, by all accounts, uh, when it docked uh, in the Romanian port, a lot of the sailors left because they say they didn't want to be in a defenseless ship, you know. Russian people, and I'm talking uh, the Israelite Russian people, can do an awful lot with very little. And um, it wouldn't be somebody I'd want to be playing with. You know, they make fun of them that they don't have the latest uh, uniforms and helmets, but uh, I still wouldn't want to do it. Now, you know, there's always been this uh, persistent uh, myth about the Russian mafia and how ruthless they are. Oh yeah, uh, it's, it's like the Italian, the Italian mafia. Yeah, and the, <laughs> we yeah, know they're all they're all the same people. <laughs> yeah, the Italian mafia, the Russian mafia. Uh, Chris, just who are these people? Tell our listeners. What who in the well, world are these? These are our, our, our friends who who like to go around calling themselves God's chosen. So uh, these ruthless people that become mafia under the name or guys or or in the under somebody they really don't have a a problem identifying themselves with whatever country they're in they they'll, yeah, they'll well, call I mean, themselves we, we Italian had, Yeah I mean we had that uh, you know various instances in the war you know the shooting of the so in Katrine, you know, that was blamed on the Germans, where in fact it was Jews wearing, um, you know, German, you know, uniforms. 
Hey, you don't mind if uh, we talk a little bit here in the last uh, half hour about some ancient books, would you? No. Okay. Uh, the Book of Enoch, have you ever had a chance to read it or uh, do some research oh, on it? I, 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 I haven't actually, must confess, I haven't read it through. And I did hear some of Eli's and Greg Howard's um, you know, talks on it, which I found very interesting. It's like everything. I'm so busy producing stuff myself, I don't get time to. <laughs> so um, how much stuff have you produced, by the way? Well, I, I mean, I, I do the UN sign magazine, which takes quite ah. a bit of my time, and then I format these books. Because um, quite often these old books are in very small prints, so I enlarge them up, reformat them, them on the website uh, so they're there for anyone to download free of charge. I mean, obviously, I've only got a selection because there's a limit to how many I can put on the website because um, somebody, you know, allows me to have a section of theirs free of charge. So I'm sort of limited to the capacity, but uh, there is quite a good selection there, some old books and a good variety. Uh, there's a lot of Eustace Mullins there. And some of the old books, like I told you, this one about the House of Douglas and the Brigantes. Um, and there's quite a lot on health, you know, particularly on, you know, dangers of vaccinations and that sort of thing. Well, you know, these um, over in America, some of these books in print form are becoming collectors, like Eustace Mullins, the gold the gold-covered uh, book, you know, the gold cover on it with the black letters, the Federal Reserve, you know. Oh, yes. the, oh yeah. That book is running like, uh, and we're talking about a soft cover that's kind of a heavy, really heavy type of soft cover, though. Um, that one's going for $200 oh, on uh, in print. And, and I loaned that out <laughs> And never did get it back. You know how that goes, okay. right? <laughs> and, and and if anybody's ever, you know, got my book, please send it back. I want my Eustace Mullins book back. Uh, you know, that was uh, one of those uh, fellows of the, um, uh, you know, exposing what we now see as a result of many, many people saying we don't like the banks, but... Hey, go the next step, folks. It's the Jews. Hey, let me ask you, talk to us about the ensign. Oh, yes. Well, um, this is a monthly magazine I do. Um, um, There's a lot of identity articles, some by Eli. There's usually one from Eli every week. But besides identity, there are other things, you know, on conspiracy and also a lot on, um, you know, stone circles and that sort of thing, uh, ley lines. Um, and also there was an, I did put an article on in on the Bosnian Pyramid, which was quite a great find. I swear you heard about the Bosnian Pyramid, did you, Doc? I think so, yes. Yes, mm-hmm. indeed. Um, there seems to be, you know, lots of pyramids, you know, around the world that aren't actually recognised as pyramids. They're just called mount, you know, mountains, you know. 
and the believe that and there are also some in the UK. Uh, Malvern Hills are supposed to be pyramids, and Jehalion uh, in Scotland, some believe to be a pyramid. Folks, I have a link on the Waterman files uh, to this magazine that he's talking about, and uh, it's not called Ensign; it's called the, the, the new, new ensign. ensign. Pardon? Yeah. Yes, the new ensign. There you go. Uh, how come it's? Why does it have that title? What's the? What's significant about it? Talk to us about that. Well. Um, there used to be, well, it still is one called the Ensign Message, uh, which I used to get and I used to help with. But they sort of, um, well, they didn't like uh, some of the articles that I offered, and uh, they certainly were against the two seed line, and uh, they stopped sending it to me and a lot of other people who complained about it. So we thought, well, why not do our own magazine, which we which we did do? Um, so Muggins hair got ended with the job. <laughs> so, I, I've got to I've got to say that on your website, why don't you give your website to the magazine? I know they can go to mine, but what is your website? Yeah, that's newensign dot christ assembly dot com. Okay, uh, probably folks. Probably the e- easiest way to get to it. A lot easier is eurofolkradio.com and just click on the UN sign banner because uh, um, Eurofolk Radio is a lot easier to remember. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I see on your website here that uh, you, on the right hand column, it says uh, this month's edition, the Book of Enoch, banned from the Bible. Below that, Jack the Ripper unmask and much more. So, we're talking about some pretty interesting topics, right? Right there, we were just talking about the Book of Enoch. Um, and you're saying here uh, next month in April, folks, killer voodoo in the UK. Whoa, what is that all about? Can you do you want to wait to tell us and let us read oh, it? Or uh, it's a it's a short article by. Uh, uh, I don't know if you've, you've heard of him, a chap called uh, John Stokes, who, who was origi- who was in the British Intelligence Service, but uh, he never got to high position because he he didn't go along with the establishment too well. He didn't. He said he, you know, he stands for the truth. He he, he said one the biggest casualty, you know, of war is is you know uh, that they. In order to go to war, the government has to make has to have a propaganda war against its own people, and of course they're telling a lot of lies about the so-called enemy. Um, but basically, this is about um, you know a, a black bishop and how you know a lot of his congregation are involved in voodoo in you know these black churches. <laughs> 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 Jeez, you know it's, you, it's, <laughs> you got it's like in Haiti. I remember somebody said one time, uh, "You can be a you know eighty percent of the nation of of Haiti is Catholic, but they are one hundred percent voodoo." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's a pretty vicious cult, this voodoo. Um, sounds uh, sound like that's going to be an interesting read on uh, uh, from an intelligence oper- operator too, huh? That's it's interesting. Yeah, he, he, he actually when he wrote that, I think he was uh, ninety two, and he died last year at the age of ninety three. So oh he had a good inning. And well, of course, he, being in the intelligence services, he had a lot of good contacts. Well, you're a busy man. You're, you yeah. keep pretty busy with. I mean, yeah. how many pages are you putting together for this uh, magazine every month? Uh, it's forty. Oh my goodness! Four. I knew it was big. Yeah. Forty pages. Uh, that's a lot of work, folks. Uh, you, and you know what's really good? It's affordable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, <laughs> and basically, that means, folks, it's free of charge, just like he said. Um, uh, that's quite an endeavor. I'll just have to uh, tip my hat to you, Chris. That's a big, um, big, a big effort. I I know it's got to be a big effort. And and up there on your website, you've got uh, looks like uh, some other uh, uh, links or or, or tabs. Uh, Freeman, uh, the yeah. the. What's the Freeman? What's that? Uh, I, well, I've looked at it. Basically, uh, in, uh, well, it's obviously a long story, but basically it's about how to get round, because um, as you know, we Israelite nations were under common law, but that's been usurped by, uh, mm-hmm. well, you call it in America, I believe, the Universal, Universal Contract Code. Uh, so when you go into American court or English court, you're not being tried under common law, but under no. administrative law. And this is basically telling you how to get round. Well, I'm not telling them, but there are a lot of books telling you how to, you know, come out top dog if you have to go to court. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, a, a tab on the tribes. And, uh, yeah. Tell us, tell I, I see all the names there. Uh, so, you have information for each one of them. I, uh, does it give a historical and uh, where they went, or is it all? Uh, oh, tell us oh yes, about. there's a brief history and the heraldry, um, roughly where you can find them, and then there's the old um, biblical books which aren't in the, um, you know, the standard Bible. It's called the the testament of the tribes. Each tribe had a testament of, you know, telling you of their history, uh, which also gives you a clue as to who they are and where they are now. Well, those got to be removed. You know, we can't have that yeah. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you have one up here called Books. Oh, my. Yeah, that's where you find the... <laughs> You've got yeah, the uh, various categories there, and you see there's one on Eustace Mullins, uh, one on health, uh, Bible. Um, can't remember them all now. I'll have to I'll have to get you some of them. Um, I wrote a paper while I was a professor of pre-med and nursing. I thought it would get me fired, but since I was unique, they hired me at this college in Michigan, a state college there. They hired me to teach the honors program for pre-med nursing. And I thought, well, while I've got them, 
you know, <laughs> cornered. I'm going to publish my paper about the broken model of medicine and let them have it, you know. So I published my paper figuring that I would hear from the ivory tower any minute that I had to leave. The The dean came walking down the hallway and they stopped me and said, uh, I saw your paper. And then I had to apologize. They said, I'm very sorry you have in your hands a piece of paper that wasn't edited the one that I edited didn't get published and I don't know how that happened I think there was a little conspiracy there okay so it kind of made me you know how it is can you imagine putting out the uh, a publication and not having the edited one go out but the one that was draft I mean it just is you know embarrassing very embarrassing especially at an academic setting Anyway, here's what they said. They looked at me and they said, uh, I'd like to talk to you about your paper. And I said, oh, boy, here it comes. They said, that was good. In fact, I my doctor's a homeopathic. And they just walked off. And I thought, okay, I've got carte blanche here. <laughs> so, and my, yeah, I thought, oh, okay, that tells me something. So the father kind of cleared the way, and uh, I had uh, uh, kind of was given the uh, – it was very unique. And, and I've got to say this because I wasn't a full professor. I was an adjunct professor. And adjuncts are usually considered, you know, second rate, even though we have to have the same credentials, even though we teach the same topics, Okay. And I was only adjunct. They wanted me full-time, but I was only adjunct because I wanted to continue my clinical work. So I didn't have time to be. I was three-quarter full-time professor, full-time clinical practitioner. Um, But most adjuncts get stuck in a room piled up on top of each other, sharing desks and everything. And some of those professors that were adjuncts were mad at me. They said, why aren't you down here with us? I said, because I was given my own office. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I was stuck in in the science department all alone in a really nice office, <laughs> and I was never there. That's what made them mad because they knew I had a clinic, and if I wasn't teaching, I was gone. <laughs> and, the, and they were, uh, 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 they, well, they want an office. You know, they were really upset. But apparently, I just felt, you know, I got to tell you, there is a guy, he said, you need to go over to this college they need a professor, and you're supposed to go. I said, how do you know I'm supposed to go? He says, I know you're supposed to be there. Now go. And I, and he was kind of, it was kind of, um, you know, as you would say, a God thing, you know. <laughs> a lot of people say God thing, you know. But anyway, uh, when I went, uh, next thing I know, I'm working there, but, but, I was able to reveal to a lot of the students rife technology. You know about rife frequency. And oh all yeah, that. Uh, was he, uh, he, he, he was hounded uh, almost to death when his equipment stolen and burnt, or his laboratories or something. Right, and I would I would uh, do videos, two hour videos, and they would go, you know, and I had students crying. I said, "Well, the American Cancer Society does not." intend to cure cancer and they said how do you know i said because i was on the board to raise money for research and they told me that's how i know and i've got the plaques to prove you know i got all these plaques in appreciation of your effort 
for the fight of you know cancer. I've got all these things, and I keep them not because I'm proud of them, but I keep them to, to you know show people that hey, I was there. I know what's going on, and I quit because I found out they had no plans to cure cancer. Well, so nicely they helped cover up any cures. <laughs> if the cure was found, they'd be out of a job, wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was there long enough to teach 12 semesters, and uh, some of those semesters was oh, lots of teaching. You know, some days I was lecturing six straight hours, and uh, gobs and gobs of uh, pre-med and nursing students know the alternative path. I mean, it doesn't mean they're going to do it. At least they know it's there, so... It's interesting. I just wanted to tell you that because I saw your health tab. I'll have to. Maybe I ought to send you the paper, and I'll. I'll promise I'll give you the, the final version, not the. All <laughs> oh, right. Be <laughs> very interesting to see that. <laughs> and then you have uh, you have uh, another tab here that says uh, slides. Now, a PowerPoint presentation. Well, that, that, that's um, PowerPoint presentations. Uh, mainly Gog and Magog. Also okay. on there is uh, Eli's migration. So I did the slides for his article on the migrations of the tribes. That's an um, awesome. That's an awesome presentation you put together. That's that's a good one, isn't it? And also I, I, I did one on the English language, how it came about. The very oh, really. The English language. I'd be interested in that and knowing that one. Hmm. Okay. Then the dog and Magog is really about um, our friends, the parasites, and how they've been following us, and how all these problems go right back to the Garden of Eden. Um, but basically, it starts off with um, you know Attila the Hun up to modern times. But the wow. uh, trouble is, um, you know, there's so much you could write, and then, you know, you you find something, then you find, oh, that wasn't quite right. You have to go back and alter them, you know. So it's really, <sighs> that's why I called it a story, because the story is still ongoing. <laughs> <laughs> Based on uh, unraveling the cover-ups, unfortunately, yeah. even the books that I taught from, uh, I was disgusted with some of the approaches in him, of course, uh, only to find out that it came from a uh, publishing house in Europe. And guess who actually sat on the board of that publishing house for the anatomy, uh, the the health, the uh, pre-med book, this anatomy book? Uh, guess who sat on Rothschild? Roth, Rothschild himself sets on the board uh, that ought to tell us something you know right there jeez come on well these students were crying I mean I don't blame them their mother was uh, sick with cancer and dying and she was going to be doing a walkathon to raise money for the American Cancer Society and I couldn't hold back I said it's a waste of time you know Send send your mother to an alternative clinic and get there as quickly as you can. Save your mother's life. And I say that, uh, um, uh, Chris, because what drove me into alternative uh, health care, being an alternative uh, doctor, 
and going back to school to do it was that I had 15 of my own family die, all of them. The last one, the well, last one was not my mother, but that's the one when I decided, okay, I'm going to go volunteer for the American Cancer Society. And then I found out that was a lie, and I said, well, I'm going to go uh, find out what will work, and I ended up being, of course, in alternative medicine. So uh, the 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 um, the truth unravels in, like you say, the story. And as you <laughs> as we write down this stuff called like history, then we find out we've run into another lie. We have to go back and fix it. And you know that's so pervasive so deeply and so been going on for so long it's a lot of work i mean can you imagine how much they you know a lot of people say well man how can they literally have done this generation after generation with such a a an agenda that seems to be so unified why don't you answer that question how can they be so unified well, I, I personally, I, I think it's uh, we all have our destinies in our DNA, and uh, I think that would be the same with, with with the enemy, the Jews, or you know, the mm-hmm. um, Canaanites or Edomites. Um, you know, they can't help it; that's in their makeup, and and the Bible says uh, they, you know, the serpent was the most subtle of the beasts. So in other words, he was very crafty and not like us. We're easily taken in. That's how he's been able to be so successful. But it's interesting. Um, I don't know if you've heard of a chap called Tom Sheridan. No, uh uh-uh. uh He was ta- he was a medical man, and he was talking about the um, fact that... Uh, and I think he said about 5% or 2% of the population are psychopaths, and it's in their, you know, it's in their makeup. You can't cure them, and they all have, most of them happen to gravitate to uh, government, but he wouldn't go to so far to say who they actually were, whether he knows or not, I don't know, but I rather suspect he does. <laughs> That, well, I, I, can tell, I can tell you medically uh, that the that the uh, racial profiling uh, in medicine has information that, of course, the Jewish race has the most inherited psychological disease makeup of any race in the world and has the highest percentage of mentally ill people on the planet percentage-wise. So it goes to figure, you know, if you're uh, Luciferian in your DNA, it's, it's not bode well for you. <laughs> As the saying goes, um, birds of a feather tend to flock together. Right, right. Well, we've got no. about uh, like we've got about uh, 10 minutes. Why don't you uh why don't you uh Kind of give us some uh, thoughts that you'd like for us to that we maybe haven't covered. Uh, you got anything in mind you'd like to share oh, with us? Uh, just going back to the book again. That book uh, is very interesting. One of the things uh, I suppose you've heard of the Stone of Destiny, have you? 
Oh, yes, yes. Tell Yes, go uh, ahead. But in a lot of the old books, they refer to it as a marble chair, you know, with, and, a, and a stone. I think Dankenbring wrote on that. And in this book, um, the synopsis of uh, the Douglas family's uh, genealogy, mm-hmm. uh, they give it a quaint name, the fatal chair. And I, I can see why they call it the fatal chair, because uh, when you go through the history of the Scottish kings, you can say that they never reigned very long. They either got murdered or killed in battle. So, so if you were <laughs> crowned on that, you were uh, likely to be... Uh, Fatal. You, know, huh? you, you went in for a very long life. Well, that's... Uh, what, what do you think? Do you think the real stone of destiny was, uh, uh, so to speak, uh, stolen for a while by those college pranksters and brought up... <laughs> brought out. Yeah, well, I, I've been. It's very difficult to track down. I have done, you know, quite a lot of well research on it. And um, what's strange is that um, King Edward the um, yeah King Edward the second, I think it was, or King Edward the first. They call him Edward Longshanks. Uh, oh yeah, He brought yeah. the uh, stone back from uh, Scotland. But evidently, it must have come by a ship. It was very heavy because uh, it stopped for a while in a place called Kings uh, near Hull, and it's called Kingston upon Hull because the Kingstone rested, stayed there. Oh, really? Then it came on down to London, and uh, <clears throat> uh, they had a, a, a stone throne <coughs> with it. But the, uh, uh, the story goes, the king didn't like uh, the throne, so he had a new one made up, which is the King Edward's throne, which you see a picture of in Westminster Abbey. But the original one was a stone one, which he gave to the Archbishop of Canterbury. And as far as I can make out, that particular throne is in uh, Canterbury Cathedral, because it was about that time it ended up there. And the story goes that, you know, soon after he brought it down, they made a raid up to Scone Abbey. Um, and I think he realised, I don't, I mean, this is just surmising, that he hadn't got the right stone, and that's why he had to get a new throne made up to fit the one he'd got. Oh, okay. The uh, wooden uh, chair, hey, the wooden all... chair we're talking about, the one, the new one? Yeah. Okay. Whereas the old uh, Scottish kings always sat on what they called the stone's uh, chair. And um, I think the actual uh, stone itself actually fitted either under the throne or on the throne, and they sat on it within the stone, you know, the stone throne. Um, uh. So a lot of speculation about it. And then, again... Um, the one, I think it was John uh, Anthony Hill wrote about it, <coughs> saying that the present Queen wasn't crowned on the right stone because he's got photographs showing that the original <laughs> stone was a different colour. So it's very difficult to make up, you know, is the real stone still in Scotland? I know the the so-called real 
the so-called stone what the Queen was crowned on is actually in Edinburgh Castle now, but again, is that the real stone? Yeah, somebody it it. said it was actually it was the covering for a latrine, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was what brought back uh, with a lot of pomp and circumstance. What in 1996, wasn't it? Yeah, King Charles, um, Charles, uh, Prince Charles's birthday. Oh well. That 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 soul isn't. I don't think that soul's ever destined to become king. What's your thoughts there? Oh no, I don't think so. Well, tell me why you don't think that's going to happen. Is, is does the queen is the queen really an Israelite that it's that knows that her her son is not full Israelite and and has decided not to let him become a well. Um, um, a friend of mine in Newcastle, I think her daughter had connections, you know, with, with members of the royal family. When speaking to the Queen, <clears throat> she reckons she said that Charles wasn't monarchy material. <clears throat> and also, <laughs> and also, you have to remember, you know, she's married to Prince Philip, who who has Jewish blood in his line from um, uh, going back to the Battenbergs. Uh, yeah, that's married. that's exactly what I was thinking that he had Jewish blood, not her, but he did. Yeah. Which then made Prince Charles really un uh, really um uh, biblically so to speak uh, uh unqualified to take the throne. Yeah. Hey, well let me ask you this then. In light of all that, uh in our last few minutes here, um, is is the queen that's there now the last monarch? Or, or I mean, because who then could be king? Uh, uh, that would still mean that even uh, uh, Prince Charles's son is not qualified either to be king. So, what what's your thoughts? Well, I, I don't know if you've heard, but there's somebody called uh, I think his name is Greg Hallett, uh, is claiming that uh, you know. The Queen, you know, shouldn't be on the throne. Uh, it should be there's there's another claimant who's actually uh, in Portugal at the moment. By all accounts, uh, Queen Victoria, uh, when she was 14, she was whether um, she was married or had an affair with the Duke of Cumberland, who was blind and had a son by him. And he was hidden away out of the family and blotted out. Um, and I think uh, Queen, Vic- by all accounts, Queen Victoria's lady in waiting <coughs> edited all her diaries so it wouldn't come out that, you know, there was another pretender to the throne. And his offspring is now in Portugal and he has a representative, and evidently he's been trying to make a claim on the throne. So, is this a formal is this a formal claim or is it just a rumor? I mean Oh, they... oh yeah. I mean if you I, I try and remember to send you the um link to it. Um he done the video on it, um Bell and the nefarious going on with the royal family and uh he's, he he calls himself the uh, guardian of the royal secret. Really? Yeah. Well, boy, so there are uh, 
seems like to me, Chris, think of this uh, um, for a second. Uh, isn't this kind of what was going on, the rumblings of monarchy and who's to get it, was about the time that somebody called Yeshua the Christ showed up, and it just so happened to be that that was the generation that was supposed to go back to the old lineage because one of the prophets had removed by the order that he that he got instructions to do to remove the king and go to this other family for ten generations because of the behavior of that king. And so it went to another family, and then in the eleventh generation it was supposed to go back to the original, and that just so happened to be that one of his, uh, well, his adopted father, Christ adopted Joseph, was one of those lineages, and his mother was the other, so the destiny (laughs) was that no matter which family line you picked, the crown was supposed to go to Christ. And that since it was already taken over, and the body of the you know, the political arm and the power base had already been infiltrated by these Edomites, and they knew who he was. They didn't have any choice but to murder him because they didn't want him there. <laughs> well, anyway. I mean, the scriptures talk about the in cleaning the house of David. There would no longer be, an, I think he said, an Edomite. So obviously they have infiltrated, so... I think they're busy disqualifying themselves so they can only now be one occupant of the throne. That's Joshua himself. Well, Queen Elizabeth, she's in like her, what, 53rd year, uh, something like that? Of, of yeah. being, um, uh, does she have the right to be? Is she really Davidic from the Davidic line? Uh, well, I, I mean, you you get all these stories. I mean... I mean, according to the family tree, she is, but then you don't know. There's lots of these nefarious goings on, you know, which you know, which don't get heard about. Uh, that's all secret. Um, so, I mean, from what I gather, this Greg Hallett reckons she isn't, but, I mean, there again, it's just one person's opinion against mm. another. Well, then we have uh, Prince Albany of something or other. <laughs> <laughs> who, who has a book, and we're talking about Robert the Bruce and all those lineage. So, you know, this has been a marvelous discussion, Chris. I'm really, it's been delightful interviewing you, talking. Let's continue this discussion. Maybe we can uh, uh, have a nice uh, conversation in the future about the uh, uh, destiny of the monarchs of the house of judah and find out you know just exactly where all the rumors are and what we have ahead of us because we did have this thing called the stone of destiny right that was supposed to be overturned what three times or over three times that's correct yeah Yeah. well i know it's been at least that so what that all means i have no idea so we'll have to have you come back and let's talk about that you want to do that yes uh, i'd like to do that Thank you for having me on. Much appreciate it. You're welcome. Give us the way to contact you. How do we do that? Well, you can contact me on my email. That's uh, CP, that's C, P for Peter, E for Edward, A for Apple, D for Donald at talktalk.net. 
TalkTalk.net. Okay. And also and you, you can get me on on Steen as well, if you like. Uh, C so Pede. it's C Mead. Is it C no, P Mead? Okay. P for Peter. No, the letter P, C, the letter P, Mead for. Uh, uh, no, Mead. Okay. Okay. Folks, and if you need to get a hold of him and you didn't get all that because I interrupted him, you can contact me at the Waterman Files and I'll pass on your message and question and you can get a hold of him that way. Thanks so much. Been a pleasure. This has been fun. Let's do it again. I'm really looking forward to us talking a little bit more about that. My family's uh, uh, from this uh, little castle up in Scotland called Dunvegan. And um oh, I know Dunvegan, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, uh I'm uh, obviously a McLeod, so um at least I unzipped that today and people may or may not have already known that. But uh it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate you coming and we'll talk real soon. Thanks, Doc. You're always blessed. Bye. Bye bye.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.